Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be with you here today. Big shout out to everyone watching online or who are at the Speedway. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here at Westside, and it's my great privilege to get to be a part of this one series that we've been going through for the last several weeks. Just so you know, we've been tracking with churches in Kansas City and all around the world as we walk through the Gospel of John and on these weekend messages talking about these I am statements that Jesus makes. It's so powerful and really thrilled to get to be a part of it. And so if we back all the way up to Exodus chapter Chapter three, we see our boy Moses here in front of the burning bush. You guys know the story. God reveals himself in a burning bush to tell Moses, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh, who is effectively the king of the world, and tell him, let my people go. The Jewish people had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, man, 400 years. And he says, I want you to go to him and tell him, uh, tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, seriously, uh, who should I say sent me? And God tells him, tell him that I am has sent you, right? The uh, I am, the existence itself, this being who is non-temporal, immaterial, all-powerful. He says, tell, tell the Pharaoh that I am has sent you. Then we go forward here a little bit, and Jesus has these I am statements that we, we've been looking at. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Jesus takes the name of God when the Pharisees confront him and they say, hey, you know, uh, how do you even know Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the perfect representation. He is the perfect incarnation of who God is and how he has always been and how he will always be. And so we look through the Gospel of John, and he makes these I am statements. Today, we're going to talk about the statement where Jesus says, I am the door, right? So in our lives, very often, people in our lives, they kind of act like doorways. There's a certain place, there's a certain season of life that we would like to have. And there's some people who stand in the way of that. They're kind of, uh, they're, they're an obstacle for us, maybe. Any of you guys are seniors in high school? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, you're making that college application process. Anybody have seniors? Right? Okay. Any others? Not that kind of senior. Applying for an AARP card. No. No. Because that's where I live. Um, No, a senior, because you go through the whole college application process. You've got this, like you've got your dream school. It's like, oh man, your whole life, maybe you're a legacy and your whole family has gone to KU or K-State or one of these other schools or it's got a program that you just wish you could go to. Maybe you're a musician and you wish you could go to Juilliard, right? Or you're a basketball player, you wish you could go to KU, Um, right? It's okay to celebrate. There's good stuff going on right now. Yeah. And, and so you have this dream institution that you want to be a part of. You've always wanted to. And just know that if you go there, all your dreams will come true. But there's an admissions board. And they are effectively, they are a door standing between you and your dream school. So what do you got to do? You got to apply. <laughs> you got to do your ACT, you know, and you got to get, then you probably have to take it again, you know, and then you got to submit your transcripts and your grades, and you have that regrettable, you know, first semester of your sophomore year, you really wish you had done a lot better, and then you got to maybe submit some recommendation letters from people who know you and love you and who lie a lot, right, and they send all those things in for you, and you, you, you know, you've got your extracurricular activities, and then you got to write an essay, and you got to tell these people why you would be a great participant in their esteemed institution, and then you send all of it off to the dream school. And that admissions board is the doorway. And you wait. 
and you wait, and you wait a little bit more till finally that letter comes in the mail, you know, and you, you pick it up with trembling hands. You say, I, I don't want to do it. Mom, you open it for me. And your mom opens the letter and those words, congratulations, you have been accepted. And all your dreams will now come true until you get there. You know, we all have these, these doorways that people kind of, kind of have for us. It might be like that job that you were interviewing for, and there's, some, there's an interviewer there that's trying to go, whether they're going to recommend you for that job or not. Maybe it's a relationship. It's like that girl, that guy who's so hot. And if only they would just see all the good in you, your dreams would come true. There's any number of things that we have these expectations, these kind of doorways that people stand between us and the thing that we think we want. And the doorways are not always necessarily positive. Maybe it is that relationship that you thought you wanted, you know, and then the two of you get together and your collective dysfunction is just a spiral into chaos, right? And you go, boy, I really wish I hadn't stepped through that doorway. Doorways are people nine times out of 10 and there are these ways that we step into a new season of life that we really want to have. And we can all come up with dozens of different uh, people who saw something else in us and invited us in. And maybe it was like a coach for a team or a teacher who invited you into a program. And these people opened the doorway to new opportunity, opened a doorway to new potential. And that's kind of what we're talking about here today. So we're going to talk about doors a whole lot. We're also going to talk about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens and watchmen. And I don't know a whole lot about sheep. I'm from Los Angeles, so I don't trust any animal bigger than my dog. Um, and around here, we've got like right near my house, we've got horses and cows and stuff. And I think they're terrifying. Um, I don't know if you know a whole lot about sheep, but you know, sheep, they have sheep pens, and you probably have a sheep pen in your backyard. This is not familiar territory for me. So Jesus sets this whole thing up here in John chapter nine. He sets, gives us a tension between him and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he's having this conversation. He, here's what happens. Jesus does something great, and then immediately the religious leaders complain about it, right? So he heals a man who was born blind. He has never seen his entire life, and because he did it on the Sabbath, the religious leaders are all up in arms and they're complaining about it. And he's just like, you can never win with these people, right? They continually exercise their right to miss the point. Jesus was saying that this miracle, healing this man born blind, was a sign to who he was, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah that these Pharisees had been expecting and looking for their whole lives. And yet, Jesus says, you, your eyes are blind. You are spiritually blind. You can't see what is obvious and in front of you. So Jesus then, he, he, he sets up that tension with these religious leaders and then he pivots to another metaphor. Now, you gotta understand, a very common image in the Old Testament was God as a shepherd and his people, or Israel, as sheep. And that God shepherds his people. And all the way back to Genesis, we see these patriarchal leaders who were shepherds at one point in time. You've got Abel and Abraham and Allah and Isaac and Jacob, even Moses, Moses, who was a prince of Egypt for 40 years, and then he spends 40 years as a shepherd, which is a job that basically an adolescent kid would do. Not a desirable job for an adult. And not only was he a shepherd, he was a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. Because apparently God needed to humble him before God was going to be able to use him. 
So this idea of God as shepherd and Israel as sheep is very, very common and well understood. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, would have had that under the belt. They would know that very, very well. So that brings us to John chapter 10 here today. And Jesus sets up this seat. He says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees being spiritually blind and now he's talking about them. They don't even know the voice of the shepherd that they've been seeking their whole lives. So let's just talk about sheep just for a second, okay? To be compared to sheep is not a flattering comparison because sheep are dumb, okay? They're dumb. They are easily injured, right? They need a whole lot of care. They need a whole lot of help, right? And so a shepherd, typically, he would have his sheep and they all, he would name them, they would know him, he would take them out to pasture, they would drink and they would feed and they would do whatever it is sheep do all day, right? And then at the end of the day, he would take them back and they would go to a sheep pen. We have a picture of a sheep pen right here. Okay, so a sheep pen's about, usually made of stones, about like three or four feet tall, and then you put thorns and briars and stuff all over the top of it. So one, they're not trying to get out, right? But also so nobody can get in because there could be a problem of people trying to steal your sheep, right? The shepherd goes and he, he, he deals with them all day long. He loves his sheep. And then he goes home at night and he hires a watchman to stand in that doorway to literally sometimes sleep across the entryway to be a physical door, to be a physical barrier to the sheep for their safety. In other words, you're gonna have to go through him to get to the sheep. And anybody who comes in any other way has got malevolent purposes, right? They are not good people because the shepherd's gonna come back the next day. He's gonna go through that entrance and the guy who's the watchman says, yeah, I know you. You're the guy who hired me. Come on in. And his sheep are gonna follow him. His sheep know his voice because they're not gonna follow anybody. Sheep are dumb, but they're loyal, right? They know who the boss is. Now, what would happen is if you were going to try, if you were a bad person, you were going to try and steal a sheep, okay, you're, you're going to not go through the entryway because that guy is laying across the entryway, so you're going to climb over the wall somehow. Now, sheep, you ever try to pick up an animal that doesn't want to get picked up? You ever try to pick up a big dog that doesn't want to get, just arms and legs everywhere, and they, they're not helping you out at all, right? But you go to take that sheep, and they're saying, you're not my daddy. You're not my shepherd. You can't pick me up. And the sheep is wiggling all around. So what they would have to do in order to steal that sheep, they would have to slit the sheep's throat and then toss it over the wall. So Jesus introduces the main metaphor for us here today. And he says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and life abundant. <laughs> so in the previous chapters, we see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were looking to something else for their fulfillment. They were looking to something else for their salvation, their adherence to the Old Testament code that they got from Moses, right? Say, Moses is our boy. He wrote the first five books of, of scripture. We hold to him. He is our leader. He's the man who passed on the tradition to us. He gave us the law. See, they were looking for their salvation, literally, in the law. And this is what Jesus says to them in John 5. 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The whole time he's saying you're spiritually blind, right? I am the shepherd. You should know my voice, and yet you don't. You look at the scriptures that for salvation, you don't even understand that your boy Moses was talking about me the whole time. His whole job was trying to get you to me. In the book of Galatians, it said that the law, the old covenant, right, the old scriptures, they were a mentor, they were a tutor to get us to Christ. And yet these Pharisees continue to exercise their right to miss the point. See, if they want the doorway to life, the kind of life that their souls long for, they were going through the wrong door. They had mislabeled the door. And it's not that it was a bad thing to know the scriptures and try to show fidelity to the old covenant scriptures. It's a good thing to respect the law that Moses had given them. See, what they had done is they'd taken a good thing and they turned it into an ultimate thing, ultimately missing the point. It's like you take the, the doorway of you know, scriptural um, education and behavior modification, okay? And these guys knew the law. They were the Pharisees. They were the experts in the law. And what happened is they put all their weight on it. They thought the law was an end in itself. And Jesus is saying the whole point of the law was to get you to me. What they did was they took that door and they mislabeled it. They put the S of salvation on the wrong door. Only to find that it was not going to deliver what they wanted it to deliver. It was literally a dead end. So what, what are the doorways that you and I paint that expectation on? What's the doorway, the entryway that we have the expectation of salvation that we painted on? What have we mislabeled? Maybe, you know, it's the if only syndrome. You know, if only that boy, if only that girl, if only they would, they would be in relationship with me, then finally I would be happy. If only my candidate were in office, then all these problems would get solved. If only I passed through the doorway of that promotion, that job that I wanted, then I'll finally be happy. If only I may, maybe I have just a little bit more money, right? I'll be content. <laughs> and we keep trying the next thing out and the next thing out. We keep putting the weight of our identity on these things. We think these, these mislabeled doorways are gonna bring the salvation that our souls long for. And they always come up short. Some of you guys know one of our pastors here, his name is Brad Norman, a really wonderful guy, and he's a buddy of mine, and we work together, and I was talking to him about this, and he shared a little bit with me that I didn't really, I didn't really know before. See, Brad is like really, really good at golf, okay? He's like a, he was a, you know, college golfer, and as a kid, um, Golf was a big deal in their home, and his dad was an avid golfer, had all this expectation. From the time he could swing a club, he was swinging a club, and he grew up playing golf, and he grew up playing in school and competitions and all these things, got into high school, plays at a high level in high school, and the whole time, the expectation was, we want you to get a scholarship at a D1 school to play golf. So there's all this weight put on it, all of this hope, all of this momentum pushing in this one direction, and then you know what happened? He got it. He got the scholarship at a D1 school. He played golf at Wichita State. And he said this, he, t he told me this. He said, Troy, I got there, and I realized it wasn't all it was cut out to be. All of those years of practice, and all those years of expectation, and all those years of the hope and the promise of just getting that dream position, and he got it. 
and it was a letdown. And he actually just texted me right before this service and he said, what I've been doing, Troy, is I've been trying to live out the dreams of my father and not living out the dreams of my heavenly father. And after he finished school, he actually quit golf for five years because there was just no joy in it for him. But when he reclaimed it, right, after he had dedicated his life to Jesus and he had golf found a proper place in his life and it's something that he loves and that he operates in here today. We all paint the big red S of salvation on doorways that can't deliver. And no amount of money, no amount of fame, status, recognition is ever gonna give that thing that our hearts desired. So there's this author, her name is Cynthia Heimel. And uh, she wrote for this magazine, The Village Voice, in the 90s. And she tells a really wonderful story. So she was, uh, when she was younger, she was a waitress at a restaurant in New York where a lot of up-and-coming celebrities would frequent. And so she was there, and they should, very often they would be there, they would go off and do their thing, and then they would come back, and they would revisit the restaurant. And so she writes this story. Now, in the story, she leaves the names, or she doesn't leave the names out. I'm leaving the names of the celebrities out just for their sake. So this is what she says. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. These people were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. You see, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. In the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and they were still them. And the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. See, these celebrities had mislabeled a door and thought their salvation lie behind fame and celebrity and that kind of success. And what they discovered is they were still themselves. They were still small and broken and in need of a savior, just like you and I. But Jesus says, I am the door. There's no other door that's gonna meet that expectation. Yet many of us, we kind of act as if it's, you know, it's too good to be true. It's, it's like, gosh, you know, is the grace of God really enough? Is it really good enough? Do we really believe that he offers us, that he invites us in freely into the life that we would desire? Because you know what? There's no committee. <laughs> you don't have to submit your transcripts. You don't have to redo the ACT. He already knows your grades. And he's inviting you and I in to that abundant life, but we just don't believe it. It's kind of like if Elon Musk is gonna write you a million dollar check and he says, here you go, Troy, this is my gift to you. And you go, oh, all right, Elon, well, here's a hundred bucks. Let me chip in, right? That's kind of sad and pathetic, right? But that's exactly what we do with God. We think somehow our contribution to the situation actually means a whole lot. He's offering us everything because we can never earn it for ourselves. So we, we live like this Jesus plus kind of life, you know? It's Jesus plus my church attendance, or Jesus plus my tithe, or Jesus plus my behavior modification, or Jesus plus whatever you can come up with. I'm a good parent, you know? Jesus plus I'm a good guy. Jesus plus people like me, you know? And we take our weight off of him and we just kind of transfer it onto this other thing. And then we're surprised when it gives. And so we go back and we try the next thing and then it gives because it can never sustain the weight of expectation. There's no Jesus plus in the formula. It's just Jesus. 
And I kind of think we look at it like a, a way of staying in control. You know, it, it's, God is the landlord who lives on the second floor, and you and I are tenants, and we live on the first floor. And it's almost as if we go, okay, look, I pay my rent on time, and um, I'm not loud, I'm not noisy, I'm a good neighbor, I put my trash cans out where they belong at the right day of the week, and so get down here and fix my garbage disposal. And it's like we want to obligate God to us by our obedience. But you see, God's not going to be negotiated with. <laughs> He's not the landlord who lives on the second floor. He is the God of the universe who knows you and I better than you can possibly imagine. And he wants to give you life and life abundant, but it's not the kind of life maybe you think you want. And we're not gonna obligate him. We're not gonna manipulate him. We're not gonna coerce him into something because he has a perspective that you and I can't have. He knows things that you and I can't possibly know and he can be trusted because he is for you. And he wants to see you, his child, thrive. So he invites you into the abundance of life found on the other side of the door that he freely opens to you and I. It's abundance of hope, abundance of purpose and meaning, abundance of contentment, abundance of peace. And is that not what your soul longs for? The peace that he offers. The gospel writer John, he writes some shorter letters later on that we find in the New Testament. And he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus wants to bring you is unlike anything the world has to offer. And the world cannot offer that peace that your soul longs for. It is always going to be a letdown. Jesus is the door. <laughs> and every other doorway is a dead end. And we just, we want a Jesus plus it all the time, you know. Jesus plus, you know, we just think like finally, you know, if only, if only, if only, you know, I, I'm gonna be satisfied, I'm gonna be content if, you know, I marry that person. Don't get me wrong, marriage is wonderful, it's fantastic, but it's not your salvation. It can't bear the weight of your identity. So you think if I just, if I get married, you know, then I'll finally be content, I'll be happy, and you get married. And you're like, well, so, how about after we have kids? Any parents out there? <laughs> kids are great too, right? Well, maybe grandkids, I don't know. We keep finding a new thing to transfer our weight onto, you know, and it's just like, oh, and they're good things. But the problem is, you take a good thing, and you make it into an ultimate thing, and it becomes toxic. It's disordered love. And Jesus is saying, you pass through the door of abundant life that he offers, the door that is your actual salvation, and it can sustain the weight of your identity, and it can sustain the weight of your expectation, and you don't have to keep trying out all these other false, weak things anymore. Jesus says this, or the apostle uh, John, he writes this of him. He says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not has, have the son 
of God does not have life. One more time. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He is the author of life. And he is what your soul desires. And you don't have to clean up. You don't have to pass a test. There's not an admission board standing in the way. It's just him. And he is the door. And he is inviting you into safe pasture. He is inviting you into a place of peace, a place of purpose and contentment and joy that transcends the circumstances of our lives. So what we're going to do here is we're going to pray. And we're going to pray two prayers here together. For those of you who have never taken that step of faith and put, truly put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, to realize just like all those celebrities that we're still broken and we're still small, we're still in need of a savior. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering you this gift of salvation. I'm inviting you to pass through the door and put your trust in my good work and quit trying to trust in your own. Put your trust in God's performance in the performance of Jesus and not in your own to realize he is the son of God who lived the life that you and I should have lived, and he was died, buried, and resurrected to prove he was the son of God. And he invites you into a relationship that is eternal. And today can be the day. Today can be the first day of your eternal life in relationship with God. It doesn't start when you die. It's not in the great hereafter. It starts here and now, right now. So we're gonna pray together for those of you who've never taken that step to trust him. And then those for you who are Christ followers. And you've been leaving, living the Jesus plus life for a long time. Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. Thinking that God is going to be coerced onto your agenda. And our job is just to say yes to his and trust him with the consequences. So we're going to pray that prayer as well. Just to ask God to reveal those compartments of our lives, those things in our hearts that we've been holding back. And finally, finally, give them away. Push your chips all the way across the table and trust him with them. So let's pray. Lord God, as your spirit draws people to yourself, God, I ask that you just transcend any words or, that are said today, any songs that are played and let your spirit confront people right where they live and show them how you love them. Show them how you know them. Show them that you desire them to have all the abundance and contentment and beauty and peace and joy that the world can never give. And so for those of you who have never taken that step of salvation, pray this silently while I pray this aloud. God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I need to be saved. I realize that I can never do it on my own. I can never earn it. So I'm trusting you to accept me as I am not to leave me as I am. I'm accepting that free gift of salvation. Today, I want to pass through the door to the abundance of life, to the true life that Jesus has for me. I accept that gift today, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. And for you, Christ follower, who is still living life with one foot on Jesus and one foot in the world somehow, Pray this prayer with me. God, I realize I've been duplicitous. I realize that I'm trying to trust in things that can't possibly deliver. 
So I want to surrender that to you today. I want to take my weight off of those weak, false things. I don't put all of my weight on you for my identity, my purpose, my meaning, my joy, my peace. Reveal those compartments of my heart that I've been holding back. I give them to you today. I want to take one more step towards you. I want to say yes one more time and trust you with the consequences. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now some of you today, you took that step of putting your faith in Jesus for your salvation. I wanna challenge you to do something. Take a step of obedience in baptism. Baptism is this outward testimony of the inward transformation. If God has done a work in your heart, if you have received the gift of salvation, the next thing you do is to let everybody know. <laughs> right? And baptism is this wonderful picture of you had an old life and now you have a new life. It's the washing away, the atonement of all the sins, past, present, and future, everything that you've ever, every regret, every shame, every guilt that you've ever had has been taken care of at the cross by our Savior. And so today, you can take that step of obedience as Jesus himself was baptized in the River Jordan to fulfill all righteousness. We're inviting you to take that step today. And I tell you what, you can go right out here in Lenexa. You can step outside these doors. If you're at the Speedway, you can talk to one of the guys wearing the red shirts. These are our deacons, and they will help you. And they've got clothes, and they've got towels, and we have a baptistry, and we can sign you up, and we can take care of that business here today. And you can let everybody know what God has done in your heart. I challenge you. And if you hear a voice that's saying, no, not today, not today, not today, that voice isn't Jesus. That's someone else talking to you. Be bold. And so on Jesus, last night with his disciples, they celebrated something called communion. And if you've taken that step of faith here today, this is the first time you can celebrate communion in a restored relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. So they're in an upper room and they meet and they're gonna celebrate a Passover meal which they had done dozens of times their whole lives. They're good Jewish boys and girls and they got together to do this thing that they were very familiar with and Jesus does something unthinkable. He takes the Passover bread and he says, now this is gonna mean something else for you. Now, this Passover bread where you remember your deliverance from Egypt, now this is my body broken for you. Take And under the old covenant, under the old arrangement, the old deal, they were very familiar with the sacrifice of animals for the atonement of sin. Every time they sinned, every time they broke the law, they might have to bring a, a goat or a sheep or an animal or a pigeon of some kind as a sacrifice to remind them of the death that sin always brings. And Jesus says, I have a new covenant in my blood. This covenant pays for all of those sins and everything you've ever done, everything you're ever gonna do. This is the new arrangement. It's the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. He said to do this often in remembrance of me. Would you all stand as we worship together?